friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. she said my name is Chase and I'm so happy to speak with you guys this morning Uh, I say it every time I get up here I'm gonna say it again one of my favorite things to do um, is nerd out on the Bible so we're gonna do that and we're gonna do it in a way where we're we're focusing on the fruits of the Spirit and specifically kindness and Jonathan actually gave a fantastic definition of what the fruits of the Spirit are, and he says the fruits of the Spirit are produced by God, practiced by humans, and perfected over time. And even as Jonathan was doing our intro into communion, there's this emphasis on practice. And for me, I'm like, absolutely. The first time Jonathan told me, we were back in his office, the first time Jonathan told me the definition that he had like kind of cultivated for this series, I was like, I am, it is so produced by God, absolutely. Yes, it needs to be practiced by humans. But then I thought about the perfected over time and was like, he's right. As you practice, you get better. And it's not the striving kind of better, it's learning. It's like this posture. As we practice a posture these things just overflow and they become more, like the perfected isn't in my, the Western mind of like, I'm perfect at this. It's the perfection that it's like seamless. It's like a part of my nature is how I sort of understand that. So Jonathan, thank you, man, for blessing our community with this series. It's just like, it's such a good practical definition. And I think that's the best way to start it. So we're going to jump in to the fruits of the Spirit, but before we, before we get there, we're going to start with like a little <clears throat> biblical groundwork of, I lost my voice a little bit last night, scream worshiping with John Klein <clears throat> at the men's retreat. <clears throat> so I'm sorry. I might have to do that a couple more times. I know it doesn't sound good on the ears, but it's better than listening to me grovel through it. So... Um, be patient with me. But Galatians 5 is where we learn about the fruits of the Spirit, but it's really towards the end of Galatians 5 when we get the listing of the fruits of the Spirit. And so being a Bible nerd, I'm like, dude, I really want to hone in on what Paul's saying in Galatians 5 because it builds. The fruits of the Spirit aren't just some list that we need to try to perform and act out. It's actually like the cherry on top of what Paul is saying in Galatians 5. It's like the climactic buildup that Paul is building in Galatians 5. And so I want to start with Galatians 5. And Galatians 5 starts with freedom. It starts with freedom. Galatians 5.1 says this, For it was for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Later on, Paul writes again, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And I think this is such a foundational statement that Paul is trying to like emphasize to us because my concept, like, what I feel like the Lord was telling me is like, how do you answer the question, how do you walk by the Spirit? That's what Jonathan's been saying. Like, the fruits of the Spirit are like the fruit of walking in the Spirit. Well, how do you walk in the Spirit? Well, first you need to understand that you've been set free. If you're still living in this mindset that you're not free, that you're a prisoner to these, uh, what Paul would call like these actions of the flesh, you're already losing. Jesus didn't come and die. We didn't just celebrate the Lord's Supper for us to stay in bondage. He, he came to set us free. Why? Because he wants us to be free, to walk in the Spirit. So freedom's foundational to this. That's why I didn't want to glance over it. That's why I didn't want to just hop in to kindness. Because if you don't understand freedom, you can't grasp kindness in its true essence. He later goes on, to say as he's talking about walking in the spirit, walking in freedom. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And there's one little phrase in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, that's what I just read, that I want to just hone in on real quick. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Walking in the Spirit means that there is a sacrifice, a submission element to walking in the Spirit. I can no longer say what's good. I can no longer make all the decisions in my life if I'm going to walk in the spirit. As long as I'm continuing to do it myself, I'm living according to the flesh. I'm not living in freedom. And so that phrase, so that you are not to do whatever you want, presents us with a decision. Option A, we can seize autonomy, make decisions based off our own flawed and limited judgment. That's, the, that's, you know, we like to call it original sin. I like to call it the first foolish decision that humans made, you know. We want to seize autonomy. We want to be judges. Or we can go option B. We can walk by the Spirit, but that requires humility, submission, and trust. One way is freedom, the other one is bondage. And what Satan wants you to think is freedom is having the ability to say and discern everything that I think is right. That's freedom. That's what freedom is. Absolutely not. Freedom requires submission to something. You're going to be a slave to something. So you can be a slave to the good and perfect master who wants you to walk in freedom. It's paradoxical, I know. Or you can try to do it yourself, live in the cultural freedom, the worldly freedom, and yet you're a bondage to all of the acts of the flesh, which we'll get to later. And so, St. Basil, or, where's Jessica? She's going to throw a rock at me for saying St. Basil. St. Basil 
St. Basil, is that better? St. Basil actually reflects on this, and he says this quote right here, and I love this quote. He goes, O human, you are a ruling being, and why do you serve the passions as a slave? Why do you throw away your dignity and become a slave of sin? For what reason do you make yourself a prisoner of the devil? You were appointed ruler of creation, and you have renounced the nobility of your nature. Now, of course, this nobility that we have is only accessed in Christ. On our own, because of the first Adam, we live in this fractured relationship. Something's been splintered, right? Because the first Adam, there's a, there's a, I don't like to say the word distance, but there's a fracturing, there's this frustration to God's plan, but he set it right, and in Christ, we can come back into this. As we walk in the spirit, remaining in Christ, we have access to nobility, power, and authority. And St. Basil would go on to address this by saying, we have become like God through kindness. And I'm going to come back to that quote later, so you can just... Mark it down in your notes or mental note it, whatever, whatever you want to do. But we're going to come back to that because it's applicable for our discussion today. We have become like God through kindness. Now we get to the fruits of the Spirit. And then we'll get to kindness itself. But Galatians 5, 19, 21, these are the acts of the flesh that I was talking about in the, in the opening. It's because of Christ and by his spirit that we are able to overcome the acts of the flesh. So again, we're playing on this nobility, this authority. As we submit to Christ, as we live in the freedom that he offers us, and we walk by the spirit, we're able to overcome the acts of the flesh. And what are the acts of the flesh? Which Paul says, these are obvious, you know. Like, these are no-brainers, acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Those who are like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and so often we hear that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we get scared. Am I still doing these things? Are these acts of the flesh still in me? And that is why we started with freedom. We got to get out of that mindset. If you are in Christ, you're free of these things. And you're able to overcome them. So when you hear me list these things off, you just hear these things, and as the one that pings you, maybe, where you're like, ah, man, impurity, debauchery, sexual immorality, idolatry, whatever it is, whenever that hits, and you hear the enemy come and be like, oh, that's you. You say, no, it's not, not in Christ. I'm free. I'm free. And instead of seeing these things played out in our lives, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit bearing and it's, those are Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we're focusing on kindness. Jonathan's done an amazing job. Uh, my dad's also preached, done an amazing job. Go listen to those um, this week if you haven't. They're phenomenal. But let's move on to kindness. And what is Kindness. When I thought about this, kindness in my head, when, if someone was just to ask me if my, my gut reaction, my, my reflex response to what is kindness has always been like, oh, it's being nice. But then you think about it and you're like, man, 
sure that's a part of it, but what a shallow definition of kindness. How, how like the accuser, the deceiver, it's, for him to make us think that being kind is just simply being nice. Because when he does that, we have the most narrow, shallow version of kindness that doesn't really require a lot on our end, and we miss out on the true kindness that we have in the spirit. And so I want to, while that's not inherently wrong, I want to build on this idea. And, and we're going to start first with like cultural kindness. Like there's these two kindnesses I want to I wanna talk about. First is cultural kindness. And, and it's oftentimes selfish. It's status or image driven. So like this is, as long as human beings have been human beings, as Paul's writing this letter to the, the church in Galatia, there's this idea that I can do kind things to you in order to boost my own self-image. That's not true kindness. It's selfish. It's strings attached. It's like this quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? That's what we say, but yet we never come back and scratch the other person's back because we extended our kindness. Now everyone thinks I'm kind. Now I'm just going to kind of kick you to the curb when it matters. As long as I'm seen as kind, that's, that's perfect. As long as the world thinks I'm kind, that's perfect. There's no sacrifice in cultural kindness. And another thing about cultural kindness is it claims to be accepting and unconditional, yet it, it often ostracizes those deemed unfit to receive kindness. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I, is anybody a Peloton rider in here? There you go, Gary. There you go, Mal. Two people. We got two people committed to the grind in this church. Make it three with me. I love the Peloton. And, and, and there's this one guy. His name's Ben Aldis. He's my go-to guy. And he was, as I'm riding the, as I'm cycling, or would it be? Would it be spin class or would it be cycling? I don't know. Whatever. I'm on the Peloton. And he's this British guy, and he's like, oh, man, like, I love the Peloton community because it's so accepting. It's here for everybody. We're kind in the Peloton community. And I thought, it just hit me. I'm like, D really? Like, are you? Like, the Peloton community is so accepting and so kind. Like, you're just on a, I mean, you're just on a TV screen yelling at me to, like, like, maximize your output, get that body and mind connection. Like, that's, how, how? How is that kind? But it made me think, like, it made me think. That is the perfect, the perfect version of cultural kindness. Is this, this fantasy land, this mirage that, like, oh, kindness is this thing that's accepting but if you cross me, I won't be kind to you. Cultural kindness picks and chooses who we can be kind to. It's not unconditional. It's very conditional. And kindness is extended, uh, no, sorry, we see this, this is another funny thing. So, going on this whole cultural kindness thing. Believe it or not, I've made some mistakes in our marriage. 
I, I learned that I, I stir the noodles the wrong way when we're making spaghetti, you know. I, I can have a short temper, all these things. Like, I'm not a perfect husband by any means. I'm getting better every day, I hope, Mal. But when I, when I, mess, when I mess up, when I mess up, how, how, do you think I res- how, how do you think I approach Mallory after a mess up? I come in with, man, hey, man, you look beautiful. Like, th- can I clean this for you? Like, I'm being kind, not to be truly kind, but to get the elephant out of the room and make myself come back into right standing with Mallory. Right? And I feel like that's what we think kindness is. I'm going to do these good and nice things to regain position in the eyes of of either the world or sometimes as Christians we do it to the Father. I'm going to do all these good things for you so that you're pleased with me. But he is pleased with you. He set you free. So cultural kindness isn't going to cut it. We see that. So what about Christ-like kindness? It's defined like this. Um in one of my nerdy dictionaries on my desk. Kindness is a quality of God's gracious attitude and actions towards sinners. I'm going to say that again. Kindness is a quality of God's gracious attitude and actions towards sinners. And simply put, it's this, God's love in action. That's what kindness is, God's love in action. And intrinsic to this Kindness, this discussion of kindness, we have to associate, one, it's, it's a quality of who God is. We cannot experience or extend real kindness in its real essence apart from God. It's impossible. It's impossible. Outside of him, kindness is limited, tainted, and warped. And, and the picture I had for this is if you've, I hate these things. It's, I don't go to the carnival. But like, if you go to like the state fair or carnival, they have that mirror maze where you're seeing the reflection of yourself, but it's always warped and, and like, it, it's just frustrated and, and it's confusing, it's disorienting. And that's what kindness is outside. It, it kind of looks like kindness, but not quite. Like, you know, sometimes it, I look in the mirror in this maze and I'm like this tall but this wide. And other times I'm this thin and 10 feet tall. Like, it, it's, it looks like kindness, but something's off about it when we try to be kind outside of the one who is kind. And building on this idea of Christ-like kindness, the word that Paul actually uses in the Greek is Christotes. And... If you take the Septuagint, which is just the, the Greek version of the Old Testament that a lot of New Testament authors and Jesus actually reference. Um, so if you're ever reading, this sidebar, if you're ever reading in your Bible and you look in the little footnotes and it's like, oh, Psalm 49.2. And it's this, this like high, like this quotated verse and you go back to Psalm 49.2 or whatever and it's slightly off. It's because our Old Testaments aren't, based off the Septuagint, but theirs were. Just a nerd note. Has nothing to do with kindness. Um, someone's going to thank me for that. But kindness is often, that Christotes is often translated 
graciousness, it's most often used in the Psalms. Graciousness. Now, when I think kindness, I would never go grace. I would never go graciousness. I'd go nice, pleasant, sweet. It's grace. It's graciousness. It's just like this, I, now you're getting imagery of like, it's not really deserved, you know? It's, we're not going to get ahead. So, examples of biblical kindness. And, and the reason that we're going biblical kindness is, is what I love about the Bible is that when you enter into its world, you gain a, you gain a greater perspective and wisdom in how to operate in ours today. And biblical literacy absolutely impacts our ability to make wise decisions today. And so it breaks my heart when we forsake this. It, it, it's not Father, Son, Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Bible's incredible. That's how, that's how we get to learn. That's how the Holy Spirit can speak to us. And there's so many good examples in Scripture. I could stand up here and give you, like, you know, statistics or personal anecdotes. And those are great, but it's not better than, than biblical examples because the wisdom pervades over the ages. And so the first example of... Um, Biblical kindness that I want to dive into is in 2 Samuel 9. You're more than welcome to, to turn there or just write it down and, you know, spend some time and prayer and meditation on it this week because it's beautiful. But uh, it's David in, I said 2 Samuel 9, correct? 2 Samuel 9. It's a story of David and Mephibosheth. And David, we know him. Most of you in here are like, I have no clue who Mephibosheth is. No clue. And the funny thing is, is most people in Mephibosheth's time had no clue who Mephibosheth was. He wasn't this very impressive person. But there's a beautiful picture in here of kindness. And so David, the king, the, the, the rightful king of Israel, is reflecting on, he has this covenant, first of all, he has this covenant with Jonathan, his best friend, and Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Complicated character in the Bible, uh, to say the least. Was not a perfect man. And Saul actually was David's enemy for a lot of David's life. Like David's on the run constantly because of Saul. Saul's wanting to kill David because he's threatened by his presence. But what's interesting about that is like as David would come in and play the harp for Saul, it's like these tormenting demonic forces would flee. They'd leave. And so David serving the king is now, the, as he's serving the king, the king's trying to kill him. Like he, at one point, Dave, or Saul throws a spear at him, and David's like, I'm out of here, man. That's too crazy. That's too volatile of a person. We would call that a toxic relationship today. <laughs> um, if someone ever throws a spear at you, Let him come take our soul care class. There's a plug. Um, yeah, that's a toxic relationship. So, but what David does is he says, hey, is there anyone left? Because uh, this covenant that David makes with Jonathan is like, as long as we're alive, we'll like love each other. Like we're going to benefit each other. We're going to love each other's like for generations. It's like a generational covenant, uh, that we're going to take care of one another. 
And, and so David says, is there anyone left? Saul and Jonathan have both died. And David says, is there anyone left in, in Saul and Jonathan's family line? Or is anybody left? And they're like, there's actually a son of, of Jonathan. And his name's Mephibosheth. He's this lame guy in the biblical sense, not in the modern sense. Like he couldn't walk. He might have been a cool dude. I don't know if he was like lame in that context. But he could not... He could not walk. So he's this lame dude and brings nothing to the table for David and says, David says, hey, bring him here. I want to show, oh, he's, is there anyone left of, their, uh, of, of Saul's line that I can show kindness to, my kindness to? That's important. And, and they say, yes, Mephibosheth. There's Mephibosheth. So then Mephibosheth is being brought in. He goes, I want to show him God's kindness. So in this story, we're seeing that David's kindness is God's kindness. They're one and the same. And so he brings Mephibosheth before him. And, and David says, hey, don't be scared. And why does David say that? Bless you. Why does David say that? David says that because Mephibosheth probably thinks he's about to get killed. He is a rightful, like he is a, he's in the line of the king. So there's an argument that could be made out there that he should have the throne, you know? So Mephibosheth is coming before him thinking that this guy's going to kill me so he can eliminate he could preserve himself. He can eliminate any sort of like uprising that this guy, which is just crazy again um, to think about. But he says, no, Mephibosheth, don't be, don't be afraid. My servants are now your servants. And you have a spot at my table. You didn't do anything to earn that. But you have a spot at my table. Mephibosheth, for the rest of his days, dined with the king. He dined with the king. That's kindness. Kindness. So what is kindness from the story? Kindness is not self-preservatory. It's sacrificial in nature. It's generous and not seeking repayment. And, and what I love most about this story, that we can learn, the wisdom that we can learn about God's kindness and how we can interact with that in our day, is wh whoever kindness is directed towards, if I'm going to be kind to Grant, it's going to elevate him. Kindness elevates or promotes the one it's directed towards, especially when they have nothing to offer back. Sure, I can go be kind to someone who's got a ton of money and a ton of status, so what? But me being kind to someone who can't do anything for me. An enemy. That's true kindness. That's graciousness. And so, more biblical examples. Let's go back. More biblical examples. We're going to go buzz through these real quick. I'm, I, I have the, the text written down if you want to write them down and reflect on them this week. But the, the best person to turn to for kindness is Christ, right? Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And here's your stu little stupid pastor thing. 
I said kindness is Christness. Thank you, Perry. <laughs> kindness is Christness. It's, it's so inherent to who Jesus was that you can't separate the two. And so, how was Jesus kind? And how can we learn about what kindness is through looking at this man? Well, first of all, the miracle at Cana. John 2. What do we learn about this? Jesus, they're running out of wine. And, and Jesus' mom comes up to him and says, hey, you need to do something about this. He's like, it's not my time, mom. And he, she's like, I don't care. I'm your mom. And so he's a good son. Here's a lesson for all the sons in here. Listen to your mom. Um, he goes and he, he takes these purification pots and he turns it into wine. And when the, the, the banquet master comes and tastes it, he goes, oh, most people save the bad wine for later. They do the good wine first so everyone kind of gets loose. You know, like they get loosened up on the good stuff and then they don't really realize the bad stuff. But not with this family. They've saved the good stuff. This is the best wine I've ever had. They've saved it for now. So Christ's kindness elevates this family who was on the verge of being humiliated in a taboo in their town. He doesn't take any credit for it. The only people that know it's very few that know. And so what do we learn about kindness? Kindness is abundantly generous. It's like over-exceedingly great. Our wordsmith, Sue Crawford, says kindness is extravagant. What a word. What if Christians were known to be extravagant with our kindness? Next story, Jesus' healing ministry. Just I don't have a reference for this. Just open up the Gospels and you'll probably land on a story of Jesus healing somebody. What do we learn from Jesus' healing ministry? <clears throat> it's compassionate. Jesus healed through compassion. It says that all the time. He had compassion on the crowds. He had compassion on this man. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Have compassion on me. Jesus responds in kindness through compassion. Jesus in the woman at the well in John 4 Kindness notices. This woman has to travel up a hill in the middle of the day. She's sweaty. She's been divorced, I think, like five times, which, again, I'm going to say it again. I'm defending the woman at the well. Women could not get divorces in biblical times. She has been a victim to this law that has been misinterpreted. She's been abused by men. It's not the woman's fault. She's not saying, oh, I want to get a divorce. Oh, I want to get a divorce. Oh. No, this is a woman who five men have basically said, you're not enough. I want something better. And here comes Jesus. Says he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Jewish people would not go through Samaria. They would do everything in their power to avoid Samaria. But Jesus goes through Samaria. Why? Because I bet the father said, you need to go there. There's someone waiting for you. And it's this woman in the heat of the day, that's unnoticed and ostracized by your community. And Jesus says, the one, oh man, the one that you're waiting for is in your midst. And in John, it's the first time that Jesus reveals his, div his, his divinity to a person. That he reveals it. Other people might say, oh, we found the Messiah. Jesus hasn't said that yet. The first time Jesus says it in the Gospel of John is to this woman. 
That's kindness. It's noticing. It notices when, broken, when there's brokenness. It notices when someone needs encouragement. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John 13. Kindness is undeserved. Jesus did that, you know, to fulfill all righteousness. But it was undeserved. The disciples did not need their feet washed by their master. That's the opposite. They should have been washing the master's feet. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Now you go do this. Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. John 8. Kindness is liberating. We know that story. This woman most likely was caught in the act. Well, she was definitely caught in the act, but a lot of people think that it may have been like a sting operation. Like it was set up by the uh, religious leaders in that area <clears throat> in, almost, in a way to trap Jesus. Like what, it's just a weird story when you think of it that way, that they would manipulate a situation that could potentially lead to another person's death just to catch Jesus in the act of saying something wrong so they could acquire the honor that he had. And Jesus says, look around you. Who condemns you? She says, no one. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Kindness is liberating. Jesus and the man on the cross. Luke 23. <clears throat> we have one man being crucified on this side, another one being crucified on this side. I don't know which one's which, but let's say this one over here is basically joining with the crowds, which is so human, you know. He's nailed to a cross dying, basically harassing another man who's in the same exact spot that he's in. He's joining in with the crowd. It's just such a weird, you're like, dude, you're on a cross too. And the other one on this side says, like, no, 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 no. Like, are you dumb is basically what he says. Are you dumb? Jesus, remember me. Remember me. He says, oh, yes, I will. I'll see you in paradise. I'll see you in the garden. Kindness is merciful. And not only is it merciful, it's merciful even in the midst of deep, deep injustice. Kindness is not conditional on if justice is at play. In the midst of injustice, through the Spirit, kindness is still achievable. Jesus in the restoration of Peter. Kindness is restorative. I love this story. Jesus uh, has been denied by uh, Peter three times. He dies, raises from the dead, reveals himself to Peter again. But Peter still has this deep sense of unworthiness around Jesus. So in John 21, it says that Peter's like, I'm going back to my day job. I'm not fit for this. You just feel the lies that he's holding, the shame that he's holding. And what happens is Jesus meets him on the beach as, as Peter's out fishing. And what's crazy is that some of the disciples actually go with Peter back to fish, showing like the leadership that Peter had, this influence that he had amongst the disciples. And even though he had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, he could not forgive himself for what he had done. He denied him three times. 
And so what does Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? Three times. One time for each time Peter denied him. At least that's what I think. Restorative. And last but not least, I think the greatest picture of kindness that we get is in the cross. Like this, that's kindness. What we just celebrated in communion, that's, that's kindness. That he would willingly go. He'd willingly go. And I'll say this, I think, I think Jesus won in the garden when he said, not mine, but yours. Victory, boom. And he went in power throughout the rest of those trials. Every lash, he was still in control. He still held the power. Satan's trying everything he could do to try to get him to submit. And he's like, no, I have the upper hand. He had the upper hand. Kindness looks like the cross. It's sacrificial in nature. It really is. True kindness is. So, what we can get from this is kindness is really a man. That man's name is Jesus. And Titus 347 builds on this idea for us today. And it says, but when the kindness of <clears throat> but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. I want to stop real quick. When the kindness and love of God appeared. Kindness appeared in the form of a man. The kindness of God was full in Jesus. We can see what kindness is by just looking at Jesus. Going on. <clears throat> Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth, washing of rebirth and renewal by, this, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And friends, that eternal life begins now, and it's relevant for today. This kindness can be experienced Today, it's not something we have to wait for when we die and cross over into glory. It's available to you today because you've been set free and you're able to walk in the Spirit. And so, coming to a close here, how do we experience Christ's kindness today? How do we do it, you know? How do we experience the kindness of Christ I would say this, like, true kindness, the kindness found in, in Christ and experienced through walking in the Spirit provides us to a path of wholeness. So if you feel broken, if you feel broken, there's a path to wholeness. And it's made available through the kindness you have in Jesus. I had this, this picture one time of me bringing a resume to Jesus. It's funny. I brought a resume to Jesus and it had all of my like accolades on it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to get up here and say all the good things, the things I'm good at. But all these amazing strengths that people have said and spoken over me and I give it to Jesus and he looks at it, he smiles and he, he gives it back to me. He goes, that's awesome. That's so good. And then it's like the scene resets and I come to Jesus. And I've got a resume again but it's got all my weaknesses and all my failure on it, 
and I hand it to Jesus. And he looks at it and he smiles. And he says, you've got the job. You're fit. You're the perfect one to follow me. Like this path back to wholeness, this path that we follow Christ, walking in the spirit is made available through kindness. In, in Romans 2.4 says this, it's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not morality. I thought it was the cross for a second and I was about to duck. Or I said something wrong and heretical and the Lord was like, no, boo. No, he wouldn't do that. <clears throat> it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not, not, not this hard-handed. And I think that's what I think the Lord wants to do today, guys. If he does anything, is just correct the tone that we have in our head. When we hear God's voice, it's not a disappointed parent. It's not, oh, you... You idiot, like you need to do that. No, it's not that. Christ's tone towards you is always kind. So when you open up and you see the red letters, there's kindness just saturated in those words. When you're praying and, and the Spirit reveals something to you, it's inherently kind. If anything, the Lord wants to just reset the way we hear Him or think we hear Him. His tone is kind. Band can come back up. Remember what I, St. Basil's quote, not the big one, but there's this little one that I said, put a pen in, remember, we're going to come back to it. That we have become like God through kindness. And what I love about this is it's two-dimensional. It's two-dimensional. First of all, we become like God through kindness. How? Through Christ. Because kindness is a man. And a man has made a way for us to enter back into right relationship with God. That's one way. Second way. We have become like God through kindness. Well, yeah, we know first way is, is through the man who was kind, who prepared this path to wholeness. The second one is we can now extend the kindness that we have received to others. So through the extension of kindness. We look like our dad. We look like Jesus. Through the extension of it, of kindness, the real kindness that we talked about, not cultural kindness, the real substantial kindness that the world needs, we embody Christ and his likeness. And lastly, it's like true kindness is centered on Jesus. It's, it's God's kindness that makes us whole because it always leads back to Jesus. Everything always leads back to Jesus. And that takes us to John 15. You know, remain in me. And what I was going to do, I want you guys to write it down. John 15, read it on your own this week. And look how many times Jesus says, remain in me. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. If you don't remain in me, you won't. Remain in me, and you'll hear the Father's voice. Just go through and read John 15. See how many times it says, remain in me. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. That freedom that we've been granted, the, the access to walking by the Spirit, how do we do that? Remain in Him. Remain in Him. 
Because you can't be joyful, you can't be patient, you can't be kind, you can't, be, you can't have self-control, you can't be gentle, you can't be good apart from him. Not in the true way that the world needs. If we're going to be salt and light, we need substance. We need to remain in him. And Ron had a beautiful picture at men's retreat last night that like a synonym of remain is, is lingering. And going back to, he, he talked about the, the miracle at Cana. Like, you know, he was like, I wonder if some people were like, oh, they're running out of wine. Let's ditch this, this place. But those, the ones who stayed, who remained, who lingered just a little bit longer got to experience a miracle. So I just want to invite you guys <clears throat> as we move back into worship, just linger through this last worship song. Just linger in his kindness. Lord, show us the ways that you were kind to us. Lord, send your kindness to us now that we could feel it in a real way. The invitation is to linger. And this is the last thing that I'm gonna say before I step off is this quote from N.T. Wright really struck me in regard to like remaining and walking by the spirit. It says this, the story of the church, we could say it this way, the story of skyline led and energized by the power of the spirit is the story of Jesus continuing to do and teach through his spirit-led people. We remove ourselves from Jesus, we get distracted. We can't do that. We can't model what Jesus did when he was walking the earth, doing and teaching. And guess what? When we do and teach the way Jesus did it, kindness will be experienced. Kindness will be extended. So I want to pray and then I want to worship. Father, you are kind. And we know that because you sent your son and he is kind. He is kind. So we love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come in a real way and pour out your kindness on this congregation that we could experience it, be transformed by it, and then go out and share it. May we be salt and light, Jesus. Would that salt and light include kindness? It's in your name we pray this.